Hi, and welcome to another Woman in Safety morning show. We've got a great show lined up for you with our host, Donna Cleeton. Donna, take it away. Hi, so welcome everybody. My name's Donna. I'm a group EHS manager at Arriva and we're here today to talk about stress and particularly how this can disadvantage women in terms of the measures we've got in the workplace and, and the effect of the emotional safety on women and the differences that we need to consider when we're thinking about stress. And I'm really pleased today that we're joined uh, by a great panel and I'm going to hand over first to Sylvia if you'd like to introduce yourself. Good morning. Uh, so I'm Sylvia Marusic, and I am an international activational speaker on health and well-being. Tend to work a lot in the field of safety um, around uh, respectful workplace culture and managing stress, particularly workplace stress. Um, I do lots of consultations with companies uh, to help their leadership team deal with these kinds of topics in-house. And um, I'm really, really happy to be part of this panel because this is, in my opinion, based on my research and based on my career as an international speaker, this is the topic. Stress is the greatest, biggest, most ridiculous, um, damaging health epidemic we're dealing with. Yes, we're dealing with a pandemic right now, but underneath all of that and over top all of that, is the stress that people experience, not just day to day, but now even more magnified because of what we're going through globally. No, absolutely. And I'm glad you can join us. Louise, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here um, today. Um, yeah, my name is Louise Hosking. Um, I'm a health and safety consultant. I've been in the health and safety business for, it's going to be 30 years next year. Um, and I've had a really a, a really good breadth of experience throughout my career. I've worked in the corporate sector, public sector, and so on. Um, I'm currently, I work with micro to FTSE size companies, um, and I really shape the direction that they take in respect of their occupational safety and health. Um, so, so I kind of see it from all angles. Um, I, you know, I agree with you, Sylvia, it is a, a, a topic that everybody is talking to at the moment. A psychologist once said to me, managing psychological safety in an organisation is like managing jelly. And I think that's a great analogy. Yeah. Um, People may also know me because this year I was elected as president-elect for IOSH as well, and I'll be president next year. So, so yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Oh, brilliant. Thanks. I'm glad you could join us, Louise. And then finally, over to you, Lorenzo, our male ally in the room. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. I'm, I'm here uh, to bring a little bit of balance and maybe the male perspective to an issue that absolutely affects both sexes, but is particularly of interest to women workers and managers of women around the world. So good morning to everybody in the North American listening contingent. Good afternoon to everybody in Europe and hello to everybody else, most welcome. I've just finished my introduction by saying I've worked both in the private and the public sector um, for probably not quite as long as Louise in, in health and safety, but I'm definitely coming up close behind you. Um, by trade, I'm an occupational health psychologist. Um, and as health and safety moves into the 21st century, the areas of my particular interest are coming more and more to the fore. Um, we re really need to think about the loss impact 
from uh, illness and, and most particularly psychological illness. So I am delighted to be here on the Women in Safety Morning Show. Thanks, Lorenzo. So I'd like to kick us off, really. Um, stress is, as we all agree, a big thing at the moment, especially with this pandemic overlaid uh, across it. And at the moment, we sort of have standard mitigation measures, things like that for stress. But I really think there's a difference in how men and women cope with stress. Men tend to use this problem solving approach. They tend to distance themselves, whereas women use more social support and emotional coping strategies. So I just wanted your thoughts, really, on what you think the differences are between how men and women cope with stress. Oh gosh, you've got to leave the male ally to go last, but what, what a great summary, Donna. I, I absolutely agree with you. The approach to stress management for men is, is predominantly a fight or flight response, and you use much better um, modern workplace-oriented wor words for that Neanderthal innate <laughs> response, um, and recognising the difference that um, predominantly women have in having this tending, befriending, social interaction, let me talk about my stress experience. Um, and we just need to be cognizant that businesses have women workers, but probably have male worker solutions. So, so things to tackle stress, to fight stress, diary management, um, assertiveness training, um, probably are disadvantaging the preferences of a lot of women workers who want that um, better more mindful social support that's given my, my my female allies time to think about their answers <laughs> and they're going to give much more measured and, and and intelligent answers than my mere male ramblings oh now now we're not tolerating any dissing of yourself on this podcast <laughs> um i just want to jump on lorenzo and say that you know i what you said is just so profound and i think sometimes you know, although fight or flight is experienced by both men and women, the stress response is a biochemical physiological response. It's, it's what happens during the response and after the response that kind of differentiates between how men and women deal with these things. And please understand, we're not saying all men yeah, and absolutely. all women, right? We're saying these are, you know, our biologically predetermined kind of responses. Men don't produce as much oxytocin when they are in fight or flight. Women produce a little more, which is why we look for the tending and befriending response to stress. And so, you know, think about this in a workplace, you are a male supervisor and you have female staff who are stressed out. And when they come to you and they, and they need to dump all of this stuff, it's very difficult sometimes to know how to respond to that because Sometimes, not all men, but sometimes men can, because of our physio your physiology and the way that you're hardwired, can go to, well, you just need to do this. And how women can sometimes hear that is you clearly can't make your own decision about how to deal with this problem. So I will tell you what to do. Yeah. And you see this in your own home, right? You come home from, you know, as a woman, you come home from a long day and you've had a really stressful day and you just want to dump it all. And your spouse says, well, you know what you should have done? Well, that's like waving the red yeah. rag in front of a bull, right? And let's also not forget that when we're in the stress response, our frontal lobes don't operate 
properly. We do not see solutions and we are we have difficulty troubleshooting and problem solving. So when someone says what you should have done is this, I can't, it's like the talking head. You're talking, but I am not understanding you because what I need to do is get out of my stress response. I need to talk to physiologically calm down and get into that parasympathetic nervous system where I can actually problem solve myself or be open to your suggestions as a male supervisor, if this is the scenario. So what's the take home message? Less head, more heart, because it's how all of us respond better. And if you can allow people a chance to talk, women, a chance to talk for those that want to, not all women want to talk, um, you will discover a way out of that situation in a way that leaves your employee feeling cared about and heard. Mm, absolutely. No, it's um, it's fascinating. Louise, did you have anything to add? Yeah, um, you know, when when I when you came to me and said, you know, can you come and talk on this topic? I and I and I, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna unpick this whole thing of you know this difference between feminine traits and masculine traits as Lorenzo you always talk so often about and 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 it made me think of my own responses and the responses around me to the people that you know to to kind of extremely stressful situations in the workplace um and and I think it's fair to say you know men are far more likely to get angry when they get stressful but there was something I really wanted us to talk about on here today, because when I get stressed about something and I feel um, really passionately about it, I want to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's quite a common response from yeah. women. And I avoid situations where I think that that's going to happen. And I think that really massively holds us back. And, and in you know, sort of thinking about some of the areas that I thought we might explore today, I thought I've, nobody's really talking about this. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, you know, one of my male colleagues actually said to me, do you know what, so what if you cry? But actually, I think that holds us back quite a lot. Um, And, you know, we talk about, um, you know, as, you know, how can we become more assertive? How can we, you know, go on these sort of confidence building sessions and so on? But actually, that's kind of looking at how we fix us when actually this is an organisational issue. It's not a us issue. Yeah. Oh yes, totally. And 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 I think you've touched on a few key things there. I mean, the word avoidance and and the crying, absolutely something that women do. There was a, a study they did in two thousand and six on uh, infertility, which is a, a really stressful thing in itself. Uh, and what they found was women absolutely do avoid the situation. They go and cry. They they need that social support and that time to just let it out. Exactly as, as Sylvia said, you know, we need to calm down. Whereas men didn't. Um, they. they they absolutely went into problem solving mode, uh, absolutely exerted some self-control. So there is this difference. And I think, again, that, that point you've just touched on, you know, are we recognising this in the workplace? Do our leaders recognise this in the workplace? And is there a difference? Donna, I think that's the real challenge, because it is possible that people with a high feminine trait 
broadly speaking women, but not universally, as Sylvia quite rightly pointed out, have a, have a desire to be tended or to befriend as a preference for managing their stress and a really good way to flag, hello, I need some tending right now, I need some caring, is to cry to because cry. we're predisposed to go up to you and give you a hug, COVID apart. It's a nice, normal, intuitive, natural reaction for people with high feminine trait to cry. Unfortunately, in our masculine workplaces, in our male-oriented organisations, it's perceived as a sign of weakness. You must be overwhelmed. I don't actually want to unpick why my female co-worker is crying, so I'll avoid it. Um, you will learn that I'll avoid it, so you won't come into the situation where you're going to display the flag that asks for, I'd like some tending or befriending right now. Um, and then you, you've absented yourself from key decisions, from options to join the C-suite. You, you have really, really taken a retrograde step all because naturally and intuitively you were saying, hello, right now, my pressure is a little higher than I'm ready to cope with. Could mm. somebody please put their arm around my shoulder? Why would that be an unusual thing for us to do, either in our families or in our workplaces? Where, where has this come from? How have we allowed it to become normal yeah. uh, organisational behaviour? Mm -hmm. Because it is holding back those people who like to raise a flag early on in their stress experience by crying. Yeah. Whether, and they're, I think, whether they're boys or girls. Yeah. And I think that for, as um, health and safety professionals, this is a great opportunity. We talk about building trust and rapport with individuals. And when somebody is in a fragile state, be humble and take that opportunity to show them that you care. And then they will be more apt to help us about you know, helping to identify risks and stuff. It's a two-way street. T tomorrow, it's walking the talk. There, yes. there we are. We, we say, oh, yeah, we don't <laughs> want to build trust and we want to build rapport. Well, go do it. Go demonstrate that that's actually what you mean. Why? Because you're going to look weak because you responded to a co-worker who was saying they were upset right now. Who, who has set that rule? And we are the people who can change that rule. No? Yeah, absolutely. And and just to touch on what you're asking about where did it come from, um, I did some research on this because it really irritated me. And it actually comes back from historically, you know, where there were segregation of the master and servant kind of um, ideology in the workplace. And that you come to work, you do as you're told, you don't ask questions, you're just quiet. And the masters will advise you how to think and how to do. And... And you're right, we are no longer in our modern society using that work philosophy. So how can we break it open? I think, you know, sort of leading on from this conversation, you know, I, I recognize this in myself and it, it does hold me back sometimes because, you know, and, you know, whatever you achieve, there's always that kind of one thing but I know that I do it because I'm highly empathetic. And what that means is that when I go into an organization, I kind of feel the company. Yeah. And so when I'm looking at their, you know, how they're organizing themselves from a health and safety perspective, I deal with that on quite an emotional level. And they end up with great arrangements in place because of it, because it's kind of, 
you know, you're kind of getting under the skin of that organization. So, so, you know, we're at health and safety is at a really pivotal point right now. It's moved on from do and tell. We've got to have that feeling behind what we're doing. We've got to have that empathy so that we're building um, businesses that put that health and that psychological safety first. So we need those traits in, in the next generation of health and safety professionals that are coming through. I think that's so true. And I think we need to equip managers and leaders with this knowledge and some skills in this area because so often people become managers for, for their, their skills right? It's skills you can teach people, but heart is something different. Compassion, empathy, um, the ability to connect to people. And so critical is the ability to listen, not to respond, but to understand. And I feel like often, you know, I had this experience in an organization that I worked with in the U.S. Um, in January, where I had uncovered a bit of a hornet's nest of, um, Ver, I, there's no other word to, to, to use, abuse. It was, it, was, it was absolutely abuse of supervisor to employees. Many employees who would not speak up, but they told me and I went to the plant manager and so on. And I said to the plant manager, this doesn't mean that this supervisor needs to lose their job. This might be a training issue. There might be a bridge back for these employees and this supervisor with these steps and this work, but before you react too harshly, consider whether or not, because this supervisor had amazing skills, but could they also be coached to have a little more empathy, to listen differently, to be more respectful? Is that possible? And it turned out it was, and they're all doing great. So we just need to think about this from a management perspective, just because you struggle with your female employees doesn't mean you can't learn mm. to, to, to use less head and more heart. And it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you, you don't have to turn into a woman. <laughs> you don't have to hug everybody and nurture everybody and cry with them. Although I've had male, I, I've had two male bosses cry with me, which was actually just, one of the most beautiful experiences to share with them. Um, that's not what we're saying. Sylvia, we're just you're, Sylvia you're right. Actually, I had, um, and, and I've, I've, you know, you kind of think of past experience. I had a similar situation and my um, view and respect for him went through the roof at that. Absolutely. Point. Yeah. Absolutely. I just get goosebumps thinking about it because it's, like our, our, as a manager or a leader or just a hu fellow human being, your job isn't to ease or, or take away the suffering of other people. It's to sit with them yeah. while they're suffering so they don't feel alone. That's our job, yeah. right? We're here to walk each other home. And that's, and that's the key word, I think, that a couple of you have used. It's, it's having that empathetic reaction, isn't it? This is not about fixing the problem all the time. It's, it's just being empathetic to your people. Um, and that is a skill that we can, we can train people in. And 
I think that's the point, isn't it? We need to equip our safety professionals, our HR teams, our leaders, our managers with the skills to recognise that there is a difference and people do need a different solution. You know, you can't just put a one size fits all approach to, to stress. Right. And, yeah. and then maybe we need to think about the language that we use as a safety community, because we're quite happy to understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. But does a non-college educated first line supervisor really get what we're talking about but at the absolute core of empathy is driving connection between people and management 101 gets the idea of employee engagement driving connection striving for quality improvement so maybe just maybe we need to think about our language within the organizations that we operate so let's not talk about empathy to drive down stress experience. Let's talk about driving connection for better team performance. Um, and maybe just maybe we get the management hook that we need to deliver our, our stress mitigations. You know, that management hook is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, again, you know, I'm going... I, I, at the end of the day, COVID's thrown this all up in the air. It was something we were looking at before, but we absolutely cannot ignore it in our organisations anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but in order to manage this and to manage it well, you have to have you you have to really look at your organization and how it's set up. It's, you know, we're not going to manage this by having, you know, mitigate, you're not going to manage it by having mental health first aiders. It's about the culture within the organization and in order for the leadership teams to actually reflect and say I might not have a culture that is psychologically safe they have to reflect upon themselves and that's that's a tough call right now that is a tough call and it's a brave board who will reflect on themselves and say do you know what we've we haven't got this right in our organ organization because we're not having one-to-ones with people. We're not giving them the time that they need. We're not being flexible. We, we don't have the arrangements in place that perhaps we should do to manage stress within our organization right now. And without that piece, it's very difficult to look at an organization as a whole and say, you know, it, it's going in the right direction here. Yeah, absolutely. So what, how do we change this then? What's the, what's the barriers? What do we need to do to start breaking this down so leaders do start seeing this as a priority? Well, I think one of the, the things that comes to my mind is that if you're a manager and you're listening to this, you might be saying to yourself, how is any of my business? You know, my employees are stressed out and they show up to work and and they're stressed out with, you know, that's not my fault. That's not my problem. Why do I need to be, why do I have to take this training? Why do I need to know about this? Why is it always me that has to be responsible for this? And, and if that's you, I feel you and I'm sorry, but here's the truth. Your job is so much easier. It is so much more enjoyable. It is so much more satisfying and you will accomplish a thousand times more if you can help your employees show up to work as their best selves. Now, you don't need to become a counselor. You don't need to provide mental health services to your employees personally. But what you do have to do is recognize 
that a stressed out employee, regardless of where the stress is coming from, is a liability to themselves and to the safety of others in the organization. In addition, they cost the company in productivity because of presenteeism, because of absenteeism. Stress leaves in Canada are costing over $50 billion a year. <clears throat> we cannot afford to have rapid turnover, to have people off on stress leave, to have people making accidents happen and being unsafe. We, as a manager, this is very much your business. Yep. And it, it, it is actually not that difficult. Um, it, we're not asking you to pile more stuff onto your plate. We're actually asking you to consider that helping your employees deal with their stress more effectively actually will, will make your job so much easier. It will reduce your stress. And you know, there are plenty of professionals out there. There's a whole bunch of us right here on this podcast that can help you with that. But please don't, don't feel like this is not your, not your thing to tackle. It absolutely is your thing to tackle. And we've got your back. You can do it. And, yeah. and we have a comment from uh, James on LinkedIn. Thank you, James, for piping in saying stress is different in men and women. And that's so true. Thank you. Yeah. No, absolutely. It really is. And, and, and there has been little research done in this. So I think prior to 1995, all the, all the research that they did on how people cope with stress, there was really only 13% of women involved in those studies. And, and that was like not that long ago, if you think about it. Since yeah. then, that number's gone up to 37%. So we still don't have the understanding amongst people but you know it's really refreshing to me to hear people like that say that there is a difference we, we can see the difference we need more research in this area to finally push it up the agenda I think yeah I couldn't agree more Donna um to, to Sylvia's point if a worker turns up and they have broken their arm off duty and they have a cast on immediately the first line manager is thinking about how they're going to uh, give alternate duties from a mm. physical perspective, come, come work in the storeroom, come work in the administration block. Maybe you can do 50% because it's only one arm, right? Maybe you can do 50% of your, of your duties, but all, they are already thinking and processing how to cope with that challenge that the employee presents with. Guy turns up and says, hey, I've got this issue with stress and pressure. Oh my God, occupational health referral, take you out to medical services. We better involve the safety and health professional. Um, you haven't started having that mindful conversation, that, that listening conversation with somebody. It's just the modern equivalent of a physical injury. I sprained my ankle, I've broken my arm. Boss, I've got a headache. I need to have 10 extra minutes in the canteen. There are a million, million coping strategies around physical issues when, when an employee presents to a supervisor. How can we um, decide that we're, we're not capable of considering a mental health challenge when presented? It's, yeah. it's a really fascinating permission we've given ourselves to disadvantage what is effectively, certainly in Europe, one in four of us will have a mental health challenge in the next 12 months. One yeah. in four, that's 25% of your workforce, are going to have a challenge where are your coping strategies, dear organisation? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I, I mean, le leading on from some of that, Lorenzo, which it just made me think, you know, 
it is down to an organisation to ask the questions and they may uncover a can of worms at the end of it. Um, I have always been in health and safety because I don't just fix the health and safety in organisation. I love it when it just starts humming and you bring all those teams together and that's that's kind of why I do what I do. Um, But your comments there, Lorenzo, just made me start, you know, we're on this international call there are cultural differences in respect of the way that we deal with things. You know, we have a real stiff upper lip still in the UK. Um, and we know that, that more men, men are much more likely to take their own lives. And, and that is, you know, that's becoming an epidemic as well. Um, so, you know, that stiff upper lip that I think is very cultural um, to certain organisations is a potential issue as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose what, what, what are our recommendations then to the leaders of, of businesses? We, we all agree that we need this change. We all agree that there is a difference. So, you know, if, if I could put you all on the spot now, do you have one recommendation that you would make? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll go first. Is um, business leaders take risks? That's what they do. You know, I run a small business, and that can be pretty scary at times. They take a risk. So I would, my recommendation would be to to grab this, take a risk, and ask and have conversa- real conversations and listen, because your pe- people are the solution. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say invest in some management coaching on leading with your heart a little more instead of just your head. And that allows you to listen, that allows you to try and get into the shoes of the person who's in your office and it will change the leadership. Um, It will change the culture in the organization. What I would like to say is that I, I refine both of those comments into let teams within their peer groups and also within their management uh, structures drive connection. Yeah. Drive connection from people to people. If it was your brother or your sister, you'd have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to add to all of those points, you can't lose if you do that um, because it's not just stress that you're going to manage as a result of doing those things. This is this is good for business. You know, you're going to have better one to ones, better quality conversations anyway, less accidents because people feel they belong. They feel, in a, you know, they're in a trusted environment. And this is absolutely going to make a difference to more than just stress. So I think I think it's the right thing to do. And I think, again, just to, to add to those points, the message for me would be to think about our policies as well in organisations. We very much depend on this gender neutrality, this one size fits all. And, and clearly from the conversation we're having now, that, that's not the case. You know, men and women do have different coping styles and HR professionals, senior managers, we need to recognise this when we're developing those systems and processes in our organisation. I think we also need to recognise that women 
are more likely to suffer stress just because of the way we're designed and we'll hold on to that stress after we've finished work so again we need to be sensitive to the different sexes in our organization and those gender traits that, that create these differences and not have a one-size-fits-all policy Donna, i think that is critical for gender neutrality as not being um, as beneficial as it was originally thought when, yeah. when proposed a number of years ago. Um, it does disadvantage people nearly always. It disadvantages women, um, but that may not be exclusive. So this, this is an absolute right time as we come to very nearly the first anniversary of COVID to truly be thinking about sensitivity in our yeah. approach. And neutrality is disadvantageous, whereas gender sensitivity which again, if you put it into the physical world, we already do. Um, PPE for, for, for female workers, uh, footwear for female workers, uniform for female workers is different from the uniform we give to male workers and is acceptable. So let's think about that sensitivity of the sexes in, in our policies and procedures. Absolutely 100% agree with you, Donna. And this mirrors what uh, Jamie was saying on LinkedIn too, that stress is different from men and, and women. And we appreciate those on LinkedIn for sharing your thoughts and joining us. And uh, you know, I just like to also say is that um, as health and safety professionals, we are in a really good position to be empathetic and understanding of the differences that people are going through. So that is something that we bring to the table that's very valuable. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think um, for us, you know, coming out of this, we are not going to be in the same place ever again. And there are organizations that have done well and there are organizations that have done less well. And those organizations that have, have been able to adapt and to support their colleagues are the organizations that are going to do well and are going to thrive and they're going to be noticed and they're going to be invested in and all of a sudden you're looking at ethical values yeah. rising up the agenda ethical investment um and people are going to start to notice that i think we as a profession have been seen in a very different light this year and so there are opportunities going forward for us to be at the heart of how business drives itself for the benefit of its people first. Yeah. And this is really the time to make that shift because what we're going to see in the next six to 12 months is that the exhaustion that people are experiencing from the chronic stress of this pandemic that exhaustion is going to come to an end and people are going to have unprecedented numbers, experiences of mental health conditions, suicide, anxiety disorder, you name it. We are going to see a massive collapse if we don't start doing something differently right now. Actually, months ago already, we should have been working on a prevention plan in organizations to help people deal with the stress of everything. Because we had we all had stress before COVID hit, right? Mm. We had workplace stress, we had caregiver stress, we had financial stress, we had physical stress, you name it. But now we have had to really be in that fight or flight response and running for our lives during this incredibly chronically stressful time. 
And like the deer in the meadow trying to outrun the predator, we will collapse. Some of us will. Some yeah. of us have really good coping skills because we worked on them. But that's the thing that concerns me the most is we're, never mind what you're seeing right now. You think it's bad now. Wait six to 12 months. This is the time to invest in that. What do you want to call it? A, a parachute, you know, um, a safety net so that if your employees hit the bottom, you can help them bounce back. Yeah. Absolutely. This is the investment time right now. Yeah, absolutely, Sylvia. I couldn't agree more. I think I think we've got some comments from LinkedIn tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, we do. So um, we've got, it's really blowing up. Um, you've got some <laughs> great action going on. So thank you, Alan McDonald. He shares, I have had a lot of experience as a first responder and have watched people collapse and stop functioning. Now we actively go and approach our workmates and state that they seem to be having some difficulty. So kudos to Alan to going yeah. out there and doing those connections that we've been really, you know, um, calling on people to be doing. That's walking the talk, as you were saying, Lorenzo. Jamie says need for leadership. And uh, Syed says exactly, like he's very yeah, happy. The leadership is massive, but yeah. leadership have got to go through a, they, the normal process, the, the normal leadership skills that have been historical leadership skills need a different, you, we need a different approach. And so yeah. they've got to stop and say, actually, I've got to go in a different direction. That's going to take courage. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. And more than just sticking a plaster on things, isn't it? Um, this, this is about, you know, leaders, like you said, having a real good look at the culture in their business and what's going on. It, it's not just about Being introducing. About what yeah. No, it's yeah. not just about introducing mental health first aiders. You know, that that's not the plaster that's going to fix this. Right. And let's not forget leaders, please take care of your own mental health Absolutely. take care of your own stress management because yeah. you cannot fill a cup from an empty vessel you know we we are not wanting you to just add more things to your list of things to do take care of yourself and in taking care of yourself and and learning to understand the differences between how people react to stress life will be so much better for you. Like we care about you too. Without leaders, we've got nothing. But without yeah. employees, we've also got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Donna, what a great opportunity. And I thank you for letting me come and be the, the male ally to give the male perspective to, to an, another um, gender, sex-oriented health and safety discussion. So I, I'd just like to thank you for inviting me to join the panel. No. And Go yeah, and, and likewise, um, thank you. And uh, can I just finish by saying this time of year can be quite a challenging year for people mm. in this respect, you know, and we're, you know, it's it's tough at the moment. So one of the great things for me is that I already, I had a global community, but that global community has gone, you know, off the planet, um, and I'm, which I'm so grateful for. So just reach out to anybody and, you know, thank you. Uh, this session it's been great and happy christmas oh brilliant 
No, yeah. th thank you. Thank you to all, all the panel. Um, I think it's been a really great discussion. Um, I'm glad you all agree that, you know, the sex approach is, is different when we're talking about stress. So, yeah, that, that's really uh, made me happy and a good way to end today. So, yeah. Thank you, Donna. Merry Christmas. Happy Merry holidays, Christmas, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. This is a great WIS morning show that we had today. And please, I put it in the chat, our name. So follow us, reach out, connect. We're here for you, all of us, um, to work together. And if you're looking for more safety content, please visit safepedia.com. And thank you, everybody. Thanks, Thanks all. You, Merry Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.